This podcast contains explicit language. The 424 Recording Podcast begins now. Hello and welcome to 424 Recording, a podcast about home studio and lo-fi recording. We're answering recording questions and taking all things music, especially in the punk, grunge, bedroom, and indie rock genres. This is Mike from 424recording.com, and I'm pleased to be joined by Jay the Wizard from Operation Audio and Bohemisphere Studio. What's up, Jay? Same shit, different day. Nice, man. So, welcome to the 44 Recording Podcast. Uh, This is our first episode. We've been doing a lot of live streams and stuff on the channel. We have our live captive audience. If you want to stop by, it's uh, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. at youtube.com slash 424recording. And that's Eastern Time Zone. David, one of our viewers, is cooking some mushroom soup at the moment. So, it's a good way to start the day. So, this is the first episode of the podcast. We're kind of trying to figure out what we're going to be doing in this podcast. Uh, but basically, I was thinking some kind of uh, Q&A and, and things of that nature. So, um, and other than that, I think that we'll be having the podcast available on Thursdays, the day after we stream it. So, I was thinking we'll have a sh- the stream where we, you know, we'll go a little bit longer and hang out. And then for like a small brief period, we'll, we'll do some kind of like condensed podcast version. Gotcha. Um, so, we'll collect questions from people on the channel via email patreon uh live and via voicemail i'm going to have a number set up my google voicemail number and uh throughout the week hopefully we'll get some (coughs) questions uh or if people want to call in and uh just say what up or do like an intro outro for the show or something that could be really cool um we're going to get into uh, maybe some project updates if they're relevant to 424 recording like the task stamp which we were talking about before Uh, which has been going good. It's a project that we've been working on on the channel, um, basically making a uh, preamp out of, based on the four-track Tascam 424 um, cassette recorder. So that's something that we're going to get into, too. I mean, I'm assuming most people that are going to be listening to the podcast are probably fans of the channel, so I figure it's just another way to have another format out there with the 424 recording flag and, you know, uh, I don't know, just another way to consume what we're doing here on the channel. So, um, I was also thinking we could possibly interview people. I was talking to Joe at Jay's show the other night. That was, yeah, yeah. That was really cool. I, I didn't get the chance to say goodbye to him, but Joe's really cool, man. I have like every time I meet every time I meet up with him, we have like a really great conversation, and thought it'd be cool to somehow integrate some sort of interviews because we were also talking about probably interviewing some other people. Yeah. Jay knows a lot of people in the scene. Um, it grows every show. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I've known Joe since we were kids, man. I think we were in shoot, probably third or fourth grade when he moved to my school district. Oh, man, I didn't realize you knew him. You, you guys went oh, back yeah. way back. Oh, yeah. So, Joe, if you're listening, man, we want, want to interview on here or just talk about whatever. So, yeah, talk we, about uh, some music stuff. and We started playing guitar, band, like, right? around the same time. I played bass in a band with him when we were, like, I don't know, we were probably... 15 something like that but uh yeah so joe does his solo martyr art project um and he has some what i assume or what i what i understand to be sort of offshoot um projects and releases coming out shortly he's going to do a cassette we were just talking the other night about that so uh cool yeah he's got some things in the works definitely that's awesome yeah so we could have him on and and uh He's also been running a magazine out for his um, partner. Is, well, it, it's, I believe that started with his wife. Um, 
think he was telling me in high school she was. Yeah, she used to do it as just like a cut and paste kind of zine with you know handwritten articles, but it was all collage style. And it like evolved into like a digital format, or well, no, to it's digitize a, it's, some of it. Well, he might be. They might be digitizing it now, but it's actually like a newsprint, like a a physical paper when it comes out. Um, that's right. That's right. I've seen it in like really random yeah. like Chinese food restaurants, and yeah, it, they go all over like distributing it. He drives all over the place, and I'm sure she does too. But he usually makes the loop up near Sargates and does the drops, and that's when I when I see him. Yeah, he seems like somebody who's like really behind the scenes, in the scene, doing a lot of stuff. Somebody yeah. I'd, I'd love to talk to more. I mean, sounds like that's just a matter of uh, phone call or something. Yeah, getting him over here, but. Well, I mean, he's, in, cool. he's in Newburgh, so it's, oh, yeah. you know, it's, it's a little ways, but if well, he yeah. set it up ahead of time, he's... I was, I was thinking as some kind of a segment for the show uh, in the future, interviewing people, you know, yeah. having guests, or uh, even interviewing people over the phone or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you, you can know, do like, phone-in with him, but he's not usually home till 8 or 9 at night, generally, okay. so not so, to yeah. put, like, his whole business on the... <laughs> thing whatever but well yeah i was just thinking um, like it could be another cool segment basically what yeah. we're doing is just trying to figure this out what we're going to be doing on the podcast um i just figured we're already here live streaming we may as well have a segment of the live stream that's a podcast or something we can put up as a podcast and i don't know a more condensed version of the entire stream because sometimes we get a little off topic always <laughs> that's why that's half the fun of the thing yeah so I don't know. Um, if any of you guys watching now have any questions uh, for recording related, other than that, I mean... Uh, I think most of the people that are watching now have already burned themselves out of questions to ask. They're yeah. Waiting, they're waiting for the the other, etc. Well, why don't we talk... We started talking a little bit about these amps that you were building last week, and then when you came over, you started telling me more. So you had built these two amps. One's like a, like a K, an old K. Yeah, it was a K703 uh, hot chassis, like a student model. Right, and that was something that you've now built into like a champ, right? Uh, yeah, essentially. It's a, uh, uses a Fender standalone reverb power transformer and a solid state rectifier. And it's a 12AX7 preamp and a uh, 6V6 for the power. Hmm. But it uses a low ratio output transformer. So it's real, it gets real, real dirty. But uh, it's a fun little amp. Runs a stock speaker, not reconed. Um, no modifications to the cabinet at all, other than tightening up things that were loose. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, that one was cool. The other one was a uh, 6G2 Princeton clone, basically, in a what I'm guessing is a late 40s Orpheum also a hot chassis amp um yeah because you wanted to go through and you made them safe so that you weren't going to get yeah and then i made them also sound good so i yeah. had to throw away the old circuits and, and uh go new that's really that's really dope man i wish i could do stuff like that you could you think so i, I i'm really fearful of, of opening the uh, opening things up and well because yeah, i wouldn't I, I could just learn i guess i would have to learn from you yes you would well you'd have to that's learn from somewhere wizard. but the the thing about working on tube amps is if you're afraid of it you shouldn't work on it yeah if well, you if like you I don't if you, you don't know tech, that you know yeah but if you don't know that you know if you don't know that you can survive what you're getting ready to do yeah uh then it's 
probably not uh, probably not a great idea to be doing it. Right. You need to know yeah, where just... your hands. It's like running. I, I equate tube electronic to running a table saw. Like if you're not careful where you put your hands, you'll get bit, and it might require a trip to uh, the hospital or the morgue if you're really, yeah. really messed I feel up like... bad. I don't know, man. I'm like I'm like Tim the Toolman Taylor, like. Oh, I oh, love oh, doing and stuff. And then stick your whole fist right in there while it's on. Exactly. Oh, don't I wouldn't. Do that. I, I wouldn't go that. I wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. But like, I'm the I'm the guy that like, I don't know, man. I don't know what it is about power tools, but <laughs> it's it's hilarious. It's a hilarious premise for a show too. Uh, was it tool time? But um, you know, yeah. Just like knowing myself, I'm I've no. I'm just, I'm just not a power tools guy. Like, yeah. I can. I'm okay with saying that. You know, like just fuck it. Like, I can have Jay work on my amps uh, rather than get hurt. You know, so. Um, I actually, yeah, it's like a, it's like a, I guess this is a great story for the first episode. I, at one point I was building a pedal board at my buddy's house, uh, a couple days before my birthday, maybe when I was 20 or something. And, uh, or I think it was my 21st birthday. We we're building our own pedal boards and his dad had like a whole table saw and everything set up. And I fucking cut, I almost cut my finger off on this fucking table saw, man. And to this day, I'm just like, I just, I just really shouldn't, uh, I really shouldn't fuck with power tools. So. Well, the thing with the table saw is, it it demands respect. If you're not respectful of the clearances and tolerances of things and where that spin and blade is, it will absolutely. I was just, I just so naive, man. I just had no, yeah, I just have no understanding well, of how to use the thing. And it was also like I'm left-handed, and I, I like I understand yeah. that that was some some issue with the way it was set up. I don't know. Well. When when a left-handed person needs to use a table saw that's set up for a right-handed person, you have to flip the fence. Right. So the fence would go on the the other side of the blade, so that your feed hand would be your dominant hand. Exactly. So I mean, um, I think it was a combination of like some really just bad. Well, it was set up righty. I mean, that's you know. Well, yeah, and I was also just such a stupid, dumb kid yeah. at that point. Well, with a table saw, um, positive pressure all the time. And knowing where your hands are. Yeah. Those are those are the two most important things. See, if I if I was doing it with you, I, I'm sure I would have been fine. Yeah. Well, I used to be afraid of the table saw until I learned these things. Right. If you walk up to the saw and you're like, and you put, I was like overconfident little dick. Well, if you but if you walk up to and you go, you know, and you're afraid to put the wood in the blade, the first thing that thing's gonna do is bind and kick. Bite you, yeah. And that piece of wood is gonna hit you in the gut or the face or. Yeah. Or it'll kick backwards and suck your hand into the blade or whatever. So yeah. that's not the way to handle it. Level-headed, confident, and in control. Hell yeah. Tubes work the same way. Yeah, man. You know what? Maybe maybe someday you can we can we can bust out the tube app and go from there. Really, nothing to it. Show me show me what's up. We could bust out the. Ch- I have like a little vibro champ. Yeah. Fenders maybe, are super easy because yeah. the chassis will slide right out and hang in the cabinet. You don't even have to mess with it. Cool. Yeah, maybe one day that could be a cool project. Maybe we could document it on the stream or, you know, um, just make a video about it too. Yeah. It would be really fun. We got a couple questions coming in. Um, one from David, one of our uh, one of our viewers that's on the stream right now. Uh, David also sent a Fostex M80 in recently. That's another project we're going to be working on soon on the channel. So if you're checking out the podcast and are into reel-to-reels, that's something to look forward to in the future. So you can check out the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash 424recording. Um, but so David's asking us, some of you may know, we, I think we talked about this last week or 
at some point, or two or two weeks ago. There's a new Tascam, uh, it's called the 202 Mark 7, the new double cassette deck from Tascam. Mm. It's a joke oh, yeah. and super pricey. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, Insane, it looked real I guess that wasn't cheap. a question, but more... I guess, oh, we, have we seen it? So, yeah, we have seen it. And, yeah, so... Yeah. Do you want to take this one, Jay, or, or field this one? I mean, I don't know what there is to field. It kind of looks like a cheap piece of shit. Right, it's one of those it's, things where it's like, uh, it's like 500 bucks and... You'd probably be better off spent just grabbing a vintage $200 unit that'll probably last another 30 years, you know? Yeah, I can't see any point um, in, in that expense for what that is. I mean, I, I think mean. it's cool that they've decided to make one, but Granted, maybe they're just cashing in on... Yeah, you know, they're cashing in on the trend, I think. Yeah. Get a vintage Nakamichi, Yeah. So do the rebelt, fix it up. That brings us to another... Uh, that's a segue into Matt... Schizo, uh, he said he has a, who also sent a uh, Tascam 424 into the channel that mm -hmm. we've been using in some of the videos. Thank you, Matt. Um, he said he's also going to be, uh, this Nakamichi, how do you say it? Nakamichi. I always mispronounce it. I, I used to call it Nakamachi, and then and then somebody corrected me. I forget where I was. Nakamichi, okay. I was talking to somebody who was really, like, into hi-fi, and I'm like, you know, it's not, you're not saying it right. <laughs> so, I, Yeah. Now I'm super conscious about it because to somebody that matters, I guess. Okay, Nakamichi. Okay, so um, actually, I have a friend who speaks Japanese, so I should ask him what the proper pronunciation yeah. of that is. Yeah, the bagpiper guy. Oh, you want to text him? No, <laughs> I'll ask him when he's up next ask week. Ask him. Yeah, that'd be cool. So Nakamichi. So Matt's got a Nakamichi deck. He's gonna yep. be sending into the channel. He's reinstalling the transport right now, fingers crossed. Yeah, that sounds awesome, man. I'm excited. Yeah. I want to make some tapes, man. I haven't had a deck in a while. I was explaining that uh, on one of the last live streams. Um, I had an old... It was, I think it was a, I always pronounce... I think it was a 133 or something. It was, it was this weird unit that was a three-track yeah. cassette recorder. It was a two-track... Uh, it was a stereo deck with a third track. That it's was the Q-track. Yeah, it was for like track. old style projection, like if you had like a, it was like old style yeah. um, keynote type uh, PowerPoint things. Yeah. With this cassette deck, so you would have the your stereo sound and then this other track on there that would cue the, which is is just just crazy how far technology's come, even just thinking about that like that unit. But I can't even imagine like who would have used that. I guess they used it in like a business room or something. Probably um, used it for some sort of broadcast. Oh, that makes sense too. Broadcast so is all about those. time codes and cues and yeah. Yeah, I feel like this one was like specifically for that's that's crazy. Yeah, so maybe that's I don't remember. I I actually got it from Pat. Um, I thought the one thirty three though was a two track mix down deck. Maybe it was two two thirty three. I don't know. I'm getting my numbers. Sure. There's so many numbers. Um, Matt, I think that that might mean that we're on the the rear cusp. If there is such a thing, we're on the back seat of some kind of trend. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like, I, I think most of the people that are that follow the channel, um, I mean, I don't want to speak for everybody, but for for me personally, like, I'm into. I've always been into like the cassette recording aspect. Like, I always thought the the uh, four track was a great machine, and um, well, I mean, it's obviously can be prone to breaking down and issues because we've talked about how it's cheaply made, yeah. but. Um, I always, I always liked the way it sounded. I always thought it had a like, cool character, you know. And there was a lot of nostalgia for me as a kid, and 
having learned on that and playing with my friends in basements and stuff and recording each other with that so i think as far as breaking down you sort of have to like qualify that comment though like sure define broken Right, I, I guess it. I guess I've never had one that's actually like complete been completely broken. But there's a lot of quirks. Most of them are are, are never completely broken. Yeah. It's always like you can revive you know, them. Yeah, it's stupid dropouts and yeah. Which I think somebody had. Did you ever get? Did you get an email recently from somebody with a four fourteen? I, I, I sent it your way. Uh, an so, individual in Georgia. Yep. Yeah. So Jay actually uh, is a repair tech. I think if you probably gleaned that uh, um, from the, if you're just like randomly listening to this podcast uh you want to tell us a little bit about what you do jay do they not already know i think everybody knows oh but like God. you know what don't i do i don't i don't even know where to begin jay knows uh, he's an i think he's an electronics wizard yeah i don't know i mean you know how to build like your own two bands man that's that's fucking sick that's a skill i wish i could do that i don't know if i ever will i don't think most people will ever be able to do man like that's like that's like a dying art eh really not as tough as you'd think you know working on things like uh cell phone technology is a hundred thousand times more difficult than uh you know vacuum tube uh synthesis as it were um but yeah i don't know i mean i i know how to take things apart and change parts and diagnose problems and swing a soldering iron without burning myself and Sometimes I even put things back together and make them work. <laughs> well, that's what I said in, in the video where you fixed my four track. I was like, all the king's horses and all the king's men uh, couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Maybe all those dudes and horses should have called Jay. Oh, damn. <laughs> well, that's, that's quite a vote of confidence. Yeah, man. Heck yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, when it comes to things like the diagnosis and repair, though, of tube equipment and stuff, it's like, it's, it's really about your memory bank. Like, you've seen this problem before, so how did you fix it then? You know? Yeah. But I guess it's chicken and, and egg or whatever. Like, that first one you worked on probably really sucked. You know? But after that, it's like, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. Oh, I know what that sound is. Yeah, I've, I'm, okay. I'm actually getting ready to crack open the uh, that 414. That's been having some uh, strange issues in there. thought maybe that could make good fodder for a training session slash learning how to just knock over my water it's okay i had the cap on it um i thought that could make a good just don't destroy that one <laughs> yeah well that's what i was thinking too it's like yeah maybe we could take a peek at it yeah we could do that but um yeah i don't know what the hell does it say um certain aesthetic to the tape, tape lifestyle yeah, yeah that's very true well a lot of people have been asking lately uh like people just getting into the four track i think i got a lot of emails and um comments this week from people just thanking uh me for you know all the the four track videos and like saying like oh man this is like a great new hobby like i'm so excited like there seems to be a trend now too in music uh, production of dollless jamming or like dollless creation like people are kind of getting away from using computers because of the infinite nature of plugins and tweaking and you know well i think inherently when you first start to try to capture your own music the easier it is the, the smarter it is right and the better it will come out which is why a four track always was like the you know 
junior high kid standard for, you know. Yeah, it was like, just get your tapes, plug, yeah. plug in, run and gun, you know. Yeah, because I, it was super easy. Cool. All you had to know how to do mm -hmm. was plug something into it and push the buttons. Um, well, this something that's something that came up along these lines that I thought was interesting. I read is that something in my eye. Fuck. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's not Capro, is it? No. We no, got no. Uh, Capro running around the studio here. Four two four HQ. <laughs> no, I suspect I was cutting grass today. I suspect it's something from oh, that. I seem fine. Its way down. Oh shit, man. Um, I blinked it in. Well, the people can't see you on the podcast, so there you go. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, so they were talking about, uh, like four tracks. I mean, obviously you can use a DAW as if you're using a four track, you know? Um, so, I mean, that's, that's like, I guess part of the argument. Like some people say like, well, why don't you just use a DAW more simplified or, you know, limited to four tracks or, you know, but I think that what I heard was interesting along these lines was the point I was going to make was somebody, I think mentioned this. I don't know if somebody's actually working on it, but. I'd like to actually take a shot at it. I know David has some coding skills in the chat. Um, they were talking about making a DAW that emulated, not like emulated the sound of it, but basically a limited DAW. So something that was maybe a four track DAW or like an eight track DAW. I think that's a great fucking idea. And I'm surprised somebody hasn't already done it. I'm sure there's a phone app or an iPad app for this or something similar, but uh, designing your own DAW or designing a DAW that is, um, simplified so that it's more challenging to well, make a recording on it or i think that's i think that personally i think that's brilliant uh, i don't do, know do you remember the daw that easy was telling us about that night the harrison 32 oh yeah yeah harrison 32 is a channel limited daw oh really yeah reaper it's, is the daw for you we're moving back because we're so confused and we like the simplicity just reading a couple comments from david here I think a four track is like a recording school. The old timers really good good at it, good at multi tracking, and then I'll move to DAWs at some point because of the simplicity. Yeah, I mean that's that seems to be the the because like whenever you look at some old uh, threads and stuff of people, younger people asking like gear, on gear sluts about you know, hey I want to get a cassette four track, and then like twenty dudes from that era come out and they're like, you're a fool. Like I would never go back to using cassettes, and it was so well, hard to get a good and it was like. I feel like it's not a, it's like I, I think the problem modern day with um the technology is that bands have zero ability to commit so if you're going to try to track a band to eight tracks or four tracks like you know having to commit to a drum sound because you're about to print it all to one or two <laughs> tracks yeah like most bands couldn't even fathom that oh yeah. you mean later on i can't bring like the snare up like yeah not directly right so you know right i mean this is this is interesting because now we're getting into like a bigger conversation of like i guess like taste skills aesthetic um because i feel like that's that's the biggest challenge and i feel like that's the best part about using these limited daws or like a four track well i mean i think committing to sounds is a risk that you have to take if you intend to you know get shit employ done. that format right well i mean not necessarily get shit done but like when it comes to you know if you've printed all your drums in mono to one track on your four track um whatever that kick and snare level are and whatever the tom sounded like like that's fucking that's it. it yeah that's it i think there's something really exciting about that 
there is certainly something about that that becomes the anchor point to what the mix is going to sound like. Right. You got to nail that drum sound. Well, you you don't necessarily have to nail the sound. You just have to nail the balance. Because if all the elements of the drum kit sound all right and the picture is good the way that it, it lays out and nothing's like, you know, stepping on anything else yeah. and the levels are balanced, that's, that's I think, the best you could hope for there. Right. Yeah, you but you're not sure going to like, that. you're not going to go off of that, you know, that four track and put like, you know, big glam rock fucking snare reverbs and all kinds of shit on that because it's no, done. No. It's That's whatever that sounded like is how it's going to go. Right. Unless you're going to do that in line as you're recording. Again, like right. committing to saying like, that's the sound I want, that big snare but, glam you know, rock sound. But. but in the case of busting everything down to either mono or stereo into a four track, you're going to have a console of some kind anyway. Right. Unless you're just taking it all with one mic. Um, you know, and it'd almost be easier. Yeah, you get like a submixer, yeah. Well, yeah, you would have some sort of board that allows you to, you know, assemble those tracks into a composite, either mono or left and right. Right. But most likely that board is going to have an auxiliary on it, which is where that big reverb would come from. But, you know, it's kind of cool if you print drums that way. You know, you make sure you like what they sound like as they go down, obviously, but if you commit to them and just print that, then that really is the anchor point. Anchor point, you know, the, the keystone to your mix. Like, it, it can only go left and right and around that. You know, this is what the drums sound like Oh, I see, yeah, like I see. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. And there's, I mean, you can listen to... Why do you think people are, like, afraid to commit to that? You think there's just too many choices today? Because there's been way too many options for yeah. all these people's careers at this point. Most of them started out buying studio time and multi-track facilities you know and almost all those facilities would have been DAW based right I mean in the in the people in sort of our age range you know like the the 20s to 40s somewhere like that's you know early versions of Pro Tools and yeah, Gatewalk Sonar using, and um, all these fucking Soundforge you know, and or even like ADAT, you know, like before the digital stuff happened, studios had 48 tracks of ADAT all linked up to the big remote control. And, right. You know. That's crazy. So you could literally, with that setup, you could print three or four or ten snare tracks with different mics and make it do whatever you wanted at the end. But. Let's take a couple, take a couple live uh, comments here. Bobby's saying, I like hearing the music and mixing based on my ears versus watching the visual, the EQ visual analyzer. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%, but I think that's one of the things I always say on the channel, a lot of the videos is, uh, I think the biggest difference is you're not looking at a screen, you know, like music is yeah. an auditory format, you know, because right. I know personally, I've said this, I'll sound like a broken four track, but I've said this repeatedly that, you know, when I'm looking at a DAW, like there's this, there's this tendency to say like, this has to be perfect. These blocks have to look like this, this has to... And it's like that means nothing. People are not looking at the physical picture of your song, like the physical what it looks like in like a you know synthetic computer screen or whatever, and like the synthesized program. Like, well, doesn't mean anything. When it comes to tracking into the DAW, like you know, you, you use that as an example, looking at waveforms and letting that dictate, you know, what things sound like or or how, you know. That's the word I'm looking for. 
Yeah, I mean, there's like this tendency to like over manipulate things. I know that's probably not what you were gonna say. No, I, I'm, I'm blanking on the word. But anyway, it's like, uh, you know, even if the little indicators on your digital interface are in the red, and even if that waveform on the screen is clipped to shit on the upper and lower margin, if you're not hearing that digital distortion and you like the way that sounds, really doesn't matter what the waveform says. Right. So the waveform to me on the screen really is a placeholder so that I can phase align things. Definitely. And it's also how I know where the little tiny crossfades for all the punch edits and shit go. And sure. You know, you know where to cut out. Yeah, there's definitely very silences. useful. Yeah. But you know, aside from those things, the waveform really means shit. Right. It's you know, it's it's a placeholder. Well, yeah, like the four track, all you have is a couple meters that basically say like. Yeah. Those meters aren't terribly accurate all the time. I've noticed at least on no. my unit. So it's kind of like, I mean, I think that's, and like to this day, like one of the songs that's, and it might just be coincidence, it might just be a song or whatever, but one of the songs that everybody constantly tells me is like their favorite track. They love it. Where, how did you do this? How did you do it? Is just done on a four track, three tracks, you know? I uh, just thought a lot about it, committed to the sounds, and, and that was it, you know? And it's interesting that that's kind of the like one of the songs that kind of like rekindled my uh, my love of make or track music and the one that sticks out to people and there's like there's just something about that song whether it's the song or whether it's the, the quality of it I don't know so it's it's kind of interesting um, well I think the quality of or the the recorded aesthetic of a song is really only part of the picture. I think like if you had mediocre material recorded in a way that it was aesthetically pleasing, it still wouldn't please everybody all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, there, there has to be something. The, there yeah, has to be something complimentary, but in, in you know people liking your song, there has to be something something about the recording style and the production style that was obviously complimentary to the material that already existed right. to yield that response. You know. And probably you could have done it in the DAW and, and gotten sure. similar results. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. at the end, it's... And there's certain things I definitely still want to do in the DAW, you know? Yeah, but I, I feel like at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how it is that you recorded it. If it's a good song and it sounds cool, yeah. fucking who cares? It sounds good, it is good, totally. Yeah. That's, like, definitely a big mantra and a definitely a big theme and uh, idea behind a lot of the stuff I work on and a lot of the stuff with the channel. Uh, look, look through some of the comments here... Um, Jeb saying the band Deerhoof made an album on an early version of Pro Tools free that only let you record two tracks. They each had a laptop and all had to hit record at the same time. <laughs> that sounds pretty amazing. A pretty, pretty amazing way to re make a record. Do you know what record that is, Jeb? Is that a curiosity? The worst is MIDI drums. I know people who spend days looking for drum sounds. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not about yeah, that that's, at all. That's exactly like all those, yeah, I mean... The Knack plays... Okay, so Matt's got an update on the Nakamichi deck we were talking about earlier that he's going to be sending into the channel. Uh, it's P.O. Box 151, New Pulse, New York, if you have any postcards or rocks that you want to send uh, into the, the P.O. Box. Um, he said, it plays fast forward, rewinds fine, until I put a tape in, then it won't do anything. Just, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> um, Matt, there is a little tab inside of a cassette deck transport um, it should move a sliding switch on the back of the transport to actuate um, 
different functions when you insert the cassette. So make sure you didn't leave a spring out or um, disrupt a contact. I don't know how taken apart the machine is, but maybe you can look at the back of the transport and just uh, touch different contacts with a tape in the transport. Uh, it's all low voltage, just don't touch any of the stuff over by the mains. But um, I'm betting there's a, a contact somewhere that's out of place or a spring, return spring, something is not, not happy. Oh, so David, I think we're going to be wrapping up this the first inaugural episode of the podcast. Uh, we're going we're gonna to keep going on the live stream. So if you want to catch in for the after party of the live recording of the podcast, uh, just come through uh, the channel at youtube.com slash 424recording, Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, I think David's, uh, this is a great bookend to, I think, the conversation we're having. He says, I made my best stuff in GarageBand, so DAWs are great. It's about the ideas. Dawes aren't evil. I think that's that's a great... There you go. That's what we've been saying. So, guys, um, I hope you guys enjoyed this first episode of the 44 Recording Podcast with uh, this is me, Mike, from 44Recording.com. And as always, I'm joined with my... Pleased to be joined by Jay the Wizard of Operation Audio and uh, Bohemisphere Studio. And while you were all sitting here live on the podcast, we helped Matt fix his transport. Heck yeah. That's awesome. And that's the one that Matt's going to be sending in to the channel, too. So cool. thank you so much, Matt. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this, this uh, first episode. Uh, hopefully we'll look back at this episode and, uh, you know, see, see what we improved. But, um, yeah, it should be available tomorrow. I'll bump a link. Uh, and uh, so figure Thursdays uh, for catching the um, podcast. And Wednesday nights is when we'll be live streaming. And, and uh, you know, so feel free to come through the channel. Uh, it's Mike from 424recording.com. Make sure you do something you want to do today. Any any last words, Jay? No parting comments. <laughs> we'll All right. catch you on the next podcast. Catch us in the after party on the live stream. Make sure you get those uh, questions in by email. Yeah, that's text, right. Text, Google Voice. Hell yeah. I'll add a I'll add a um, outro to the podcast that'll tell you about the, the number to call in the future. So that's gonna be really cool. And if you have any recording questions, please feel free to ask them. That's what the show's all about. So alright, we'll catch you on the flip flop. Peace. Peace.